Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Did I mention to you before that every day is a beautiful day out on Bittersweet Farm? Yes, of course it is. But today, it's the 13th of May, and it is really a beautiful day. Birds everywhere. Sunshine and warmth getting warmer throughout the day. And in a, in, in sun rising into a clear sky out on Bittersweet Farm. So every day is a beautiful day on Bittersweet Farm, but but some days are, are, are much more beautiful than others. I have a story for you today about a chair, a story about a chair. And uh, this story goes way back to when I first, uh, till Lois and I, Kyle, Holly, and Chuck, we had three children at the time, and we lived in Jackson. And we were dispatched, I was dispatched to upstate New York with a group of teens uh, to um, to accompany them to uh, camp on Word of Life Island up in, in the Adirondack Mountains of upstate New York. And so I drove them up there in a van. And uh, when I got there, I thought I would be spending the week with the teens, but they said I would be staying on the mainland in an old uh Adirondack Inn and the teens would be staying on the island and to see the teens I would need to take a ferry over so every day and I'd get up in the morning and they, the way the meals were served they had they had a beautiful hearty brunch and then a really beautiful full themed dinner at the inn every night I remember one night it was a Hawaiian luau night one night was a western steak night it was just a amazing uh, accommodations and the old inn didn't have air conditioning but it was set under the pines and it was up in the mountains of a cool summer week beautiful so in the evenings when the sun would go down the temperatures would cool you could open the windows and hear the sounds of the night and and the fresh air would come in the room it was delightful week and the in after the brunch, I would take the ferry over to the island and I would hang out with the teens some. They were pretty busy and preoccupied. They had a Christian talents thing they were doing. And of course, they had their own affairs. And so there wasn't a lot that I could do with them. So I would just kind of make the rounds of their events. And then I'd get back on the ferry, go back over, and I'd have some quiet time. I was running at the times. So and my roommate was a triathlete. We ran in the mountains a bit, um, but it was a time in my life when I was trying to figure myself out, how I would do ministry and really how you should do ministry and how you should do the Christian life. And I don't know, I, I guess I had a, a feeling of a lot of duties pressing on me. I was young, probably didn't have very broad shoulders back then. And um, there was a little bookstore there, uh, which was delightful and had really wonderful titles one little book that that almost jumped off the shelf into my hands was a tiny little book by the old Southern Baptist evangelist Vance Havner, who was a preacher and witty like Will Rogers and a bit of a nature writer. He was a walker. This little book was called Pleasant Paths, and it had a delightful cover, a path through an autumn woods. And if I recall, an older man holding the hand of a little child and walking in the autumn woods. It appealed to me, appealed to my heart, what I was going through. So I bought that little book and I went out on the hillside and scattered on the hillside there, 
were these unique chairs, unique to the area, Adirondack chairs. They were like almost like reclining lawn furniture, if you've seen them. They have big wide arms and I was young, so it wasn't hard to get in and out of an Adirondack chair back then. And uh, I remember on that beautiful summer day when I first eased into that Adirondack chair with my copy of Pleasant Paths by Vance Havner, that changed my life. As I began to read, Vance Havner had broken his little chapters up into short chapters, about 50 in each book. and. Incidentally, this influenced me greatly. The nature writing and the devotional writing, it powerfully influenced me in the direction of doing something similar. And I, and it also influenced me. I noticed that every chap, they had every book was about 50, 51, 52 chapters. And I noticed that, um, uh, he wrote about a book a year. It occurred to me that even a hyperactive guy, if he could just write one chapter a week, could write a book a year. Shortly thereafter, I began to do that. And I have absolutely written the equivalent of a book a year since then. But back to my Adirondack chair, I sat in my Adirondack chair and I read that book and looking out over this big, beautiful blue mountain lake and out to the island and and just uh, the, the impression on my soul from the book was that Jesus had established in his life a sacred rhythm of work and rest. He didn't work all the time. He rested well. He was a contemplative. He, he prayed out in the wilderness in the night, overlooking the lake or out in the Judean wilderness. He, he, went, and he went to be alone sometimes for long stretches of time. But then he would often go among the people and labor hard, even to the point of missing meals and personal exhaustion. What I noticed, and Havner pointed it out in the book, is that a person who's always got the bow bent and he's always trying to accomplish something is not following the pattern of Jesus, who had in his life a, a rhythm of Sabbath, of rest, of rest and work. I made up my mind right then, I made, made up my mind, maybe two or three things. I made a decision about that. I was probably maybe 26, 27 years old at the time. Sitting in that chair, I made three decisions. One, I was going to leave the church I served in order to go and pastor with the philosophy that I thought was more fitting for me and, and more of the pattern of Jesus. Um, and I, I made up my mind that if the Lord would allow me to do it, I was going to take a church of my own and I was going to pastor that church the way the Lord was leading me to pastor. Second decision I made was I was going to buy everything I could get my hands on by Vance Havner and read it. And I have done that. A third decision that I made was I was going to keep my eye open for one of those Adirondack chairs. And maybe one day I'd own my very own Adirondack chair put it out in the yard, spend some quiet time there reading. Well, I wouldn't have one for years, but I did come into the possession of one, and that's a story too. So when we moved to Ohio, we eventually started a church there, then we moved out into the country on a dead-end road. And when on a day off, we would take the kids to go to free things, sometimes street fairs or up in the Amish country, 
anything that we could do to get the kids out of the house and experience some joyful things. One autumn day, we drove up uh, State Route 3 from Mount Vernon near where we live toward through Amity and Jellicoe toward a town called Loudonville. Our intent was to drive through Loudonville and then turn east and go into the Ohio Amish country and spend the day, maybe picnic and just drive around the countryside with the family. But on that gorgeous, cool autumn day, the leaves in full foliage, we, we drove down a hillside into Loudonville and were surprised to notice they were having an autumn street fair there in Loudonville. And so we got out of our van and we milled around and you could smell the smells and you know hear the bustle of the crowd and, and the singers and music and the calliope and on the merry-go-round and ride the Ferris wheel. There was an old folks choir that sang, but out on the air, in the autumn air, you could hear a fiddler. We, we walked toward the sound and discovered there was a fellow there whose name was Charlie Steinman, and he was a pretty capable fiddler. I believe his left arm was, was, was terribly crippled up, uh, deformed, but his right arm was good, and he would pin that fiddle under his chin and really make it sing. I enjoyed listening to Charl, Charlie Steinman. Every time we would go to one of those local street fairs, Charlie Steinman would be there and he'd be easy to find. One day I decided that I would go out in the countryside and find his home. I think because maybe we were going to have, maybe some of the kids uh, were considering playing the fiddle. So I found out where he lived and lived out in the rolling countryside uh, in northern Knox County, uh, way into northern Knox County, very beautiful countryside. And he was really a pleasant man to talk to. When I got to his house, we talked for a while and we walked around toward the front porch and there sitting on the front porch was a beautiful Adirondack chair. It was a painted kind of a dark red clay color. And I mentioned it to him. I said, my goodness, that's a nice, I love those Adirondack chairs. He said, oh, when you get my age, they're almost impossible to get out of. I should just send that home with you. Well, I, it was a delightful idea, but I didn't want to seem greedy. And so I said, oh, well, let me know if you'd ever want to sell it. I'd be glad to give you a fair price. And then the conversation went elsewhere and we left that day. And I came in to a little money driving the Amish a few weeks later. I had a $20 bill I could spare. I thought, I wonder if I went over there on a trip uh, up north with the family, if I went over there and offered him $20 for that Adirondack chair, he'd probably take it and I could own my very own Adirondack chair. Well, I went over and Lois and the kids waited in the car and I went out and he was talkative and I'm talkative. And so we talked for a while and I was working my way around to asking him if he wanted to sell me the chair and Lois got a little impatient because the kids were fussing and she just gets out of the car and walks up and says to him, hey, would you take $20 for that chair? And he looks at her and smiles and says, no, I won't take more than $10 for that chair. And so we gave him the $10 and we owned our own Adirondack chair. When I got that chair home, I thought it needed to be white. And so we painted that chair white and it was a part of our family for a long time, Saturday nights. I would take my manuscript or my notes and I would go out on a summer night 
anytime between say late April or early May and mid to late October, I could get away from the noise and bustle of the house on a Saturday night to study a little bit out in my Adirondack chair, Bible on the arms and my notes on the other side and sounds of the outdoors. We moved to Fremont and we took our chair with us and Lois took up photography and that was a photogenic chair. She would sit me in that chair and surround me with all the children and the number of the children grew to eight by that time. So that made quite a picture. I would sit in my Adirondack chair like a king or a great patriarch. All the children would gather around me and Lois would take my picture. We had a friend whose name was John Webster. His wife took up photography and they had a beautiful family. And so they borrowed our photogenic Adirondack chair and they would take, he, John would sit in the chair and his beautiful family would surround him and his wife would take a picture. And uh, when we left Fremont and I pastored First Baptist for about seven years and when we left to go to Flint to run the character in, we, the Institute sent a, a, a tractor trailer rig to move us. I remember that day, it was in uh, late October, beautiful sunny day. And there's a huge van that pulled up a big trailer, a semi-trailer, and we filled that semi-tractor trailer with our stuff. And my friend, John Webster, he came down to help me out toward the end. And when we got down to the end of the load, it was the miscellany of garbage pails and kids' bikes and wagons and so forth. And we put those things on. And then there was the Adirondack chair, the last thing to go on. And I thought, well, we're gonna be running this in a huge hotel, 500 uh, room, uh, 16 story hotel in downtown Flint. I probably won't really be able to use my Adirondack chair anymore. And I knew that it was something that John loved. So I looked over at John and I says, John, why don't you take that chair home? And John knew I loved that chair. He said, oh, he said, I couldn't take that chair. Why don't I just take care of it for you until you need it again? I said, no, no, we don't want to do that, you'll be all worried if you break it or something. I love you, I just want you to have it. He goes, oh, I can't imagine taking that. I mean, I would drive by your house on a Saturday night. You'd be out there reading and studying. I, I just can't imagine not seeing you in that chair. I look back and I said, well, John, you know, you're my dear, dear friend and your family's been dear to my kids. I, I want you to have it. I just love knowing you had it. And there we stood, two grown men crying over lawn furniture. Well, I talked John into taking it. And uh, he put that Adirondack chair in the back of his car. And as long as I live, I will have that memory in my mind of my friend driving away with the Adirondack chair in the back of his car. And I thought to myself, now that man, he really knows how to receive a gift. Many years thereafter, I've thought about my chair and the delight of giving it to my friend and how beautifully he humbly, gratefully, tearfully accepted the gift. And I don't know how many times I've told the story when I was appealing to someone to receive the free gift of salvation, receive the gift with a joy, with the humility that my friend Chan received the gift of my old Adirondack chair. <laughs>